<laughs> no crazy yeah. talk more. No, oh, no more. Kim, don't do that. How dare you try to set me up? <laughs> Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. Uh, I'm your host for today, Joel. On deck tonight, we have a muted Matt Hopkins. Hi. Good work. <laughs> and <laughs> Professor Huanchit Kim. Hello. Guys, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys all day. That's we cool. have topics to discuss matt i think i want to make you go first though because your sounds a lot more interesting than whatever garbage i've got to talk about yeah so i got a topic this might i don't know i guess it's trigger warning right uh -huh. so we get that out there That's right? what it sounds so, like so i've been this is the topic i've been debating on what to talk about and like and how to present it over the last like past like week or month a couple weeks or month or so okay. right so i've kind of teased it out there and let everybody like kind of let it simmer and, and so i want to talk about culture of uspsa oh boy i like it <laughs> <laughs> so what do i mean by culture right so i think we need to have a better culture in uspsa and i think some of the issues are people requesting hits that they don't like that are not theirs or like asking for doubles on clearly one shot holes like this is a huge issue and i think it's not just on the competitors it's also on the ro's and scorekeepers to and cro's to not allow this to happen i just this year i have seen this determine a match winner for a major match in a division heard about that mm -hmm. yeah so super not correct like this is beyond what we need happening it's the exact opposite thing and this competitor quote was i'll ask for that every time uh-huh and i'm like oh okay so i know what you are about right now so so after that like we were walking down and scoring the next stage he had alpha charlie i'm like do you want to call for a double on this center one here and he's <laughs> like he just shook his head and walked off it was pretty funny but like that determined the match winner of the match. And it actually stole the match from the actual match winner, which is actually the worst part about it. The the behavior is bad. The RO's calling it and giving the hit to the shooter is bad. But it actually costs the actual winner of the match. And that's the biggest issue on this whole thing. Like Yeah. And the culture of his local match or like his local guys are probably like, Yeah, you asked for that every time. We're going to argue it at our local like level one match that we have once a month, and we're going to give you the hits. So that ingrains into this person that this is an okay thing to do. Mm -hmm. This is the standard procedure. I'm going to do it no matter what. And it's absolutely 100% wrong. There's no reason to do it. Like The worst part about this call also was like he edged it like on beyond the perf. So like there was two clear visible hits on the target, and they still called the alpha in the center a double well that one was probably there from somebody else it just wasn't caught right okay sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so i didn't tape the t target before that but like clearly there was one hole in there and like you shot over the target on your second shot like it was just it's just ridiculous and i think this is one of the one of the things about the culture of uspsa that needs to change it's just a like it's a black eye on the sport like if someone came up and saw that like and then taking the win away from someone else like 
Mm-hmm. That dude, I'm sure, is running around saying he won that match, right? Of course. That asked for the double. Of course. Like, I made it very clear to the guy that really won the match, but didn't actually win it in the results because of the double call that was in error and totally wrong, that he won the match, and I congratulated him at the next match I saw him at. <laughs> yeah, that's not okay. Um, yes. Go ahead, Kim. Were you going to say something? Oh. Uh, th- this is somewhat related, maybe not 100% related, but this is a conversation I had with a buddy. Uh, we were talking about how uh, area matches and maybe perhaps state matches too, how people should like uh, run the match. So it could be match director's mindset or it could be also shooter's mindset where we were kind of talking about some high-level matches are nowhere near representing what nationals is putting out so for example nationals is very very well organized so anything that's not competitively equal so for example if something's uh, if you're shooting in a certain gimmicky stage where it's not equally presenting to shooters nationals typically don't have that and hope not they don't have that and also like national stages are very focused on shooting challenge type of a thing where it's technical shots and stuff like that. And some of the high-level matches weren't really testing shooting skills. Most of the stages were very gimmicky that you almost never see at nationals. So we were kind of talking how people uh, putting up those high-level matches and also even shooters would go there. Some shooters will say, hey, this is nowhere near national-level match. and This is area match and should be representing somewhat nationals quality. But people were saying, yeah, but this was awesome. Uh, I shot off the roof. I was shooting a (laughs) go-kart, golf cart, whatever. Yeah. Yes. What I told him is basically in our sport, you invest so much. Like, let's say you buy an open gun, you invest money, you get like a F1 racing car and you go to an amusement park and you race on a go-kart. And you say, hey, my F1 car ran awesome. This gold card was beautiful. But what our sport should be and is, is actually F1 circuit racing with an F1 car. Good equipment, high-level skill testing race track. But a lot of the shooters are thinking, hey, if I make this like an amusement park gold card, it should be fun and it should be uh, um, attracting good shooters too. So that kind of mindset in our sport, I think it's pretty detrimental and in a go-kart circuit you can kind of cheat things because nobody really cares about if you cut the corners or drive <laughs> yeah I, I think that hopefully that makes sense the mindset no, like, I has think it set up sense. a higher yeah higher quality well plus like putting myself in that person's shoes that should have won but didn't man so like imagine i've been training for six months every single day yeah. I go to the range a couple times a week. I dry fire almost every day. I spend all my my mental energy, all my free time, uh, you know, all my money on ammunition or match fees or whatever. And then it's like I work so hard, and this is like, oh man, I I might actually do it. It's like, nope, somebody else cheated. Better luck next <laughs> time. It's like, oh well, I can see why I, I pour my heart and soul into this. This was great. Like that that's very demoralizing. And I yeah, I, I mean, obviously we've talked about other other situations where. Uh, I guess it would not be very anonymous. Someone should have won something. Maybe could have won something that didn't. And you're just like, man, like this person trained so hard. They put so much of themselves into this. And then something that's not even like their fault. They're just like helpless. 
um, you know, because of dishonest behavior. And I think this crap starts at the club level, being honest. So, like, Matt, Professor, you guys should turn up at my club match. If Matt was like, uh, I think that might be a double. Like, I don't care what <laughs> RO it is. Be like, uh, I don't think it is. Or like, or like, they'll be nice. Just look. I'm like, yep, sorry, Matt. It's not a double. Like, that's it. It wouldn't be like, oh, well, Matt's a really good shooter. And if Matt says it's a double, yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't really see it. But Matt says it is. I'm going to give it to him. It's like, nope, <laughs> I don't think it you is. You guys Matt. run your matches even more like. You mimic big matches, like even at the level one, like there's yes. no pacing ahead and like, oh, I, I paced those three targets. They're all alphas, right? Correct. They're like, nope, reshoot last time I was up there and did that. Yes. Or somebody did that. Yeah. Yes. That so doesn't it, happen. It's, it's really good. You guys run a really tight ship over there and it's good. I appreciate that. But I mean, that's like a group decision and that's that's the culture we built. So the guys yeah. like the other, the other thing to talk about is people at, like at my club, they build the behavior that if they go to a a section match somewhere else or a nationals or an area match, like they already know how to behave. They already know they're supposed to be, you know, restoring the stages or they're supposed to be the proper procedure for calling back. Like, you know, the RO says two alpha and the scorekeeper repeats it back to him. And he's not just like following as long. It's like, did you get that one? It's like, Oh yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the fourth target. Which one's that? And then like, you just like, you know, like who knows what you even got for a score. But, like yeah. that stuff's really frustrating. I, I do think that's kind of like club dependent, but uh, I would say leadership of the club sets kind of the the tone for that kind of stuff. And I think good culture makes the group happy instead of one person happy. And I think, yeah, yeah as an organization, as a sport athletes, I think it's going to be a lot better for the future to create right culture and have all of us have a happy time rather than this guy wants to double and him being happy because he got double and rest of the culture, rest of athletes or sports hobbyists, whoever, uh, they're not going to be having fun because of titles getting taken away because of, uh, yeah, those things happen. Yeah. And I realize it sounds like, oh, this is just one call at one match. But that kind of stuff is demoralizing for the the people not getting the free calls, mm -hmm. especially where, I mean, as we've seen, even I mean, maybe winning B class. I mean, it could be down to just a couple match points could be determining the B yeah, class it's, winner. Yeah, it's not just overall. It's not just an overall like, it's, winner. It's no. every class, and it goes down yes. the whole way. Like, Correct. if a B class guy calls for a double and gets it, and another one, like, just had a mic out of nowhere, like, that's going to be a point swing at the end, and it could determine who won that class. And that's still very important, because when I was coming up, like, class wins were everything. Like Absolutely. Yeah. And, and B class it's a, has it's such a, a huge swing of, like, percentages of how many people are in it. Yeah. And, and that's a good bar to, like, set yourself up, like, oh, I'm in B-class now, and then I actually win B-class and then go to something else, right? Hmm. So that's a, that's what needs to happen. Progression, right? I agree. Yeah. Uh, professor, do you have a topic, sir? Yes, I do. Uh, I wanted to share something I started doing. Uh, it's actually – so this year, I really heavily focused on hand-eye coordination, and this is something that I added to help my performance get better. And I think it's been working pretty well so far. So what it is, is it's uh, adding something in my uh, walkthrough routine or the match routine. So whenever I go to a match, I would, you know, gun up and in a dry fire table or safety table, I would do a couple dry wraps and stuff to set my attention, meaning uh, this is my grip tension in the dry fire table. And as I am drawing, 
I am checking if my shoulders are pretty relaxed, if my firing hand tension is pretty relaxed and support hand gripping hard kind of thing. Those kind of physical tension thing was what I've been doing for a while. And then I didn't really do anything about my vision. And since I was working really hard on the vision side in th this year, I added something that really worked well. So what it is, is I often do it in the walkthrough process as well. But before, especially when I'm on the first stage, when I hear I'm in the hall or something like that, then I would just pick a distant spot or usually it's a target, um, somewhere around like seven yard, 15 yard, something like that. I would stand uh, from that 15 yard-ish distance from the target and I would just bring my index finger on in front of my eyes, uh, arm's length, not like super close to my eyes, arm's length where, where the front side will be or where the red dot will be. Then I will look at the target specific spot, zoom in as hard as possible, meaning I want to stare at specific spot on that 15 or 10 yard target, whatever it is I'm looking at. And then I would shift my focus back to the finger finger where the front side will be. And then I would go back to the target, back to the finger, target finger. But the whole time what I'm trying to do is cleanly seeing a spot. So even my finger, I'm not just generally looking at the finger itself, but a spot on my fingernail kind of thing. I would do clear target, clear finger, clear target. I would go back and forth faster and faster and faster to the point where I'm feeling my eyeballs really working hard to change the focal depth as fast as possible. And I'm setting that focal depth change speed in that process. So why I'm doing it is one thing I really realized, something very critical, is not just looking at a blurred target or just general A zone. I really had to pick a spot on each target, whether it be a mini popper, a spot on a mini popper, or a spot on a partial target, whatever the target is. The point was I'm, I'm zooming in focal depth, 100% target focus or to an object to make sure my hand-eye coordination, I'm visually guiding as well as possible. And I really found out that focal depth change speed can be increased by doing that exercise, really squeezing my eyes really fast to go clean target finger, target finger, target finger. And I'm setting that speed in that moment. That's how fast I'm going to be changing my focal depth every single time. So when I do that, one thing that also was very critical is to open my eyes wide too. Uh, if I'm squinting my eyes, my field of view gets really clouded. So I had to really open my eyes. I don't know. Uh, I got Asian eyes. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I do not People have, who Asian, have eyes. Asian eyes. You gotta I do not have that issue. Really or that enhancement. How <laughs> dare you call it an issue, yeah. Matt? So I would open my eyes as wide as possible and then go target finger, target finger. And then as I am doing that, I am familiarizing myself what it feels like to do that. Because when, when you actually try that, there's a muscle in your eyes that actually changes the focal depth. And when you are truly going clean, clean, clean target, clean finger, back and forth, faster and faster, you should be feeling there's something muscle working. So I familiarize with that. And of course, like I said, I pay attention to that in the walkthrough. So I'm every single time I am air gunning in the walkthrough, I'm picking a spot, zoom in, move to the next target, picking a spot, zoom in as fast as possible, very intensely. So this has been helping me tremendously. I truly believe this is one of the ways to increase your um, visual information processing speed.
And that's really important in our sport. You got to be seeing things as fast as possible. So I think I would recommend people to try that. And I don't only do it at matches. I actually do it sometimes just waiting for my computer games to load. I have targets around or I just pick an object. I, I've tried it many times on a cycling or treadmill. I would just pick a spot, finger out object, finger object in that higher heartbeat too. Because when the heartbeat raises, your vision deteriorates and I have very bad vision issue. So it doesn't matter if your vision is kind of blurred because for example, your glasses is now old or your sugar levels low, then vision just goes blurry. That doesn't matter as long as you are really focusing on that muscle, focusing zoom in target to target different distances, then you're basically trying to, yeah, zoom in as hard as possible, guiding your gun to that specific spot rather than a blurred spot or bigger zone. I like that. Um, and not only that, doing the preci- or doing the speed, you're also mm-hmm. working on the precision also, I'm assuming. So you can find a very specific spot and then snap your eyes to that spot. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I mean, Ben said, Ben has a, a good way of explaining it, so I just steal it, of course, and reuse it. But it's, you hit where you look, for better or worse. Ben just, I don't know where he said that. I was like, oh, I like that. I'm just stealing that. But I mean, it's so true because I mean, we talk about vision enough, but it's like if you're shooting a stage, you're like, hey, don't hit that no shoot. Don't hit the no shoot. And you're mm-hmm. looking at the no shoot because you don't want to hit it. What happens? Like <laughs> you're looking there and you will hit there. Yes. Uh, by the way, this using the finger and your arm, arm's length is yeah. not necessarily for iron sights shooters. The focus is not just to shift focus fast, target to front sight. That could be one of them, of course. But just by working on that distance, you're just focusing on, uh, even if it's a target focus, red dot shooters, still you have to change the focal depth if you're shooting five yard target and back out to 25 yards, there's still focal depth change. It's not necessarily only for working on seeing the front sight clear, target focus front sight. That could be one benefit, but also red dot shooters should be doing this. I like that. Mm. Awesome. I think that's really good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay, guys. I've got a show and tell. It is, I'm holding my hot little hands. It's a GX holster, uh, which I I know I've talked about here before, uh, but this one is one for my CO Glock. Uh, So kind of, I know I talked about it before, but basically the cool part about the GX, like it's a holster, it's a holster, whatever. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's Kydex, it's molded nicely to the gun, all that stuff. It's, it is great for a holster, but the part I actually like the most is this little, I think they call it a vice. Uh, but it's like it's just like a toggle switch up or down. So basically, when the switch is uh, down, there's no pressure on the guns. So the gun just draws nice and nice and you know smoothly, whatever. Uh, but then with the vice on, you can change the amount of retention, and it depends on how you set the holster. So like my Tanfolio, I have it set very tight. So basically, like I don't want to be able to. It, it takes me a lot to pull through it. Actually, we were podcasting before. Ben was like, "You can pull through that." I'm like, eh, "I don't know if you can." <laughs> like I pulled really hard, and then it came out. Um, but normally I have it set. So I, I mean, I like it because if I'm teaching classes, uh, I could be demoing like movement running around, or if I'm, uh, you know, on a, a USPSA stage, I need to run down range to reset. Like somebody forgot a popper, like, Oh, I'll get it. And then I just run down. I don't have to run down, like holding my hand over my gun in the holster. So it doesn't flop out. So anyway, this stuff like in for teaching, whatever, I just like it. Cause the guns in the holster, I flip on the lock. And I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but I wanted one for my two gun rig. Also, I shoot CO, but uh, I, I use this rig for two gun also. 
And the fun part is uh, talking to the owner, Leif, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, but basically, I have it set with the lock on where I can pull through the holster with, I mean, I don't know. It's not like a Phobos level, but it's like maybe like a Phobos where it, like, it snaps a little bit and there is retention so it doesn't fall out. But I can also draw it without having like the holster end up in my armpit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I like this. Like for a two-gun setup, this is perfect. Because so I can leave it on. Locked? So that's locked? Yes, that is locked. And if you can okay. see like, sorry for yeah. the uh, the audio oh, listeners, all the noise. But like I'm really not pushing that hard. It clicks in place, but it's not taking me a lot of effort at all. So I just leave, I just leave it set like this. Because if I'm running around in USPSA, it's not going to fall out. But like for two gun, I can be shredding stuff with the carbine, mm. safe it, you know, throw it in a dump barrel, whatever, and then I can just like draw my gun. Whereas normally people have like some kind of active retention where you have to defeat it with your thumb. Or before I was just using a cheap, a regular blade tech, and then I would tighten. <laughs> Pretty cheesy. So I'd have the set screw backed out when I was shooting USPSA, so it's like a bucket. And then when I'm shooting uh, two gun, I would tighten down the screw so it would click in the holster. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yes. So anyway. This setup, I, I like it quite a bit. Honestly, it's ideal. And like I said, the holster itself is very nice. It's set up to work on a boss hanger, so it's like it, it's great for a Kydex holster. But the the vice, the lock, is what like is what actually sells it for me. So again, with the lock off, there's like nothing to it. And with the lock, very interesting. On, yeah, with the lock on, like I said, like I have to pull it out a little bit, but it's it's not a whole ton. So, hmm. um, and then apparently I, I talked to the owner about it a bit. Apparently that changes based on the kind of gun you're using and the shape of the trigger guard. So Glocks are kind of rounded, apparently. And some guns, that's part of the locking mechanism. It's easier to slide them in and out or something. And apparently some that have really sharp corners, they lock in firmer, uh, whatever. But anyway, uh, for this setup, it works quite well. Nice. I like it. I'm a fan. Does it ever, like, does the holster ever follow the gun? Uh, so when I sometimes draw... The holster wouldn't release the gun quite enough, so the holster comes off with the gun, and then it tilts, and then it hits my hip. Does that make sense? It, Sometimes, yeah, like, like it's sticking, kind of? Yeah, it's sticking, and the holster will follow up with the gun, mm -hmm. and then it wouldn't let the gun go sometimes, and I have to like put it down and back up again. Gotcha. That happened to me uh, with my two-gun holster. Gotcha. Uh, no, but, no issues with that. Yeah. So it's... Well, get a good angle or not. But it's just set up on a regular boss, um, like a double alpha belt. So the holster itself is, like, it's definitely there. It's not going anywhere. So, no. And then I just adjusted the tension that I wanted. Yeah. So, like I said, it's just enough that, I mean, I can still, like, I can, you know, snap the gun out of the holster quickly. Um, but then when I'm shooting, like, USPSA, of course, I just flip the lock off. And then there's, there's absolutely no retention at all. So I just like it for, like, if I'm going to teach... Uh, or two gun, the lock will be on, and then for just USPSAs, flip it down. Nice. Anyway, I think it's kind of an interesting, an interesting product. Like I said, holsters, like the holster itself is fine, uh, but there's a lot of good holsters. The lock is what, like, is a selling point for me. Or the vice, I guess they call it. I think it's good. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I'm a fan. Uh, well, guys, Ben sent me a listener question, and it is a doozy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I'm interested in the panel's thoughts on super squad selection. Does being on the super squad give you a competitive advantage? If the answer is no, then there's not a real problem. If the answer is yes, then the current process is broken. 
I think the original purpose for the Super Squad is competitive equity where the top dudes are on a level playing field for the stage and weather conditions. But if a competitive advantage for being, uh, let's see, if there is competitive advantage to being on the squad, then last year's Nationals results are not sufficient for squad selection. For example, a top three shooter might have uh, chosen to shoot another division the previous year. He gives a possible solution. Yeah, yeah, you guys get the idea. Uh, And he says, the reason for my question is the carry optics nationals uh, squads look odd since the returning champ is not in the super squad. Dot, 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 dot. Thanks. Yeah, so I guess I can, let's first comment on how the super squads are selected, right? Mm -hmm. They take the, the last year's top 10 or 12 competitors that finished in the top 10 or 12 those are automatically on the super squad. Then they just go down the list until it's full, right? Huh? Obviously, people can request to get off of it from as much as I know. Uh, whatever reasons, right? Any number yes. of them, right? Uh, I don't know about this year's CO, but that would be weird if the last year's winner wasn't on it. Uh, that's what I was told. So and That's I, interesting. So maybe I, he requested to be off of it. Who knows? I wouldn't. I don't want to speculate about what somebody else did or didn't do, but yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it's interesting. So I guess kind of the, I guess kind of the the first question I think to talk about is does being on the super squad give you a competitive advantage? Obviously, I'm not a super squad level guy, but you two are. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Go ahead, Kim. Uh, the very first thing I I can think of, or it was actually my personal opinion. Um, it was great to be in the super squad to be able to observe other top shooters. Uh, I I love studying, so even even before I was on the super squad for the first time, I've actually uh, purposefully chose the opposite schedule of super squad. So I would stay at the match and I would video them, and uh, that's a very good time saver. So then I just stay with the super squad. I would just video all the shooters rather than trying to jump around. Uh, this is not only for me. This is for the camera crews. Um, I forgot the, the outdoor shooting channel. USA. Uh, shooting USA. Yes. So for those guys, uh, getting the media out is going to be very convenient. And per- me personally, in terms of performance, uh, I never felt like it was performance boost. Uh, nothing really, I would say, positive in terms of performance. But in terms of coming up with uh, some kind of strategy, maybe, if I'm missing anything, it would be a good idea. uh, Because in the Super Squad, generally, there's not too many different uh, strategies or plans, stage plans. But typically, there there definitely can be two or three. Uh, In terms of that, I can kind of see if I am missing anything. That could be a plus. But in general terms, again, uh, that could be also hurting my performance or hurting my stage plan because sometimes it can seem like it's a better plan because this shooter did that and the score was amazing but this was not necessarily my strength it could be one thing or i might change the strategy uh last minute then it's mentally definitely confusing i would say it's a in a place where it's more of a Watching other people or looking at other people's plan is more of a temptation at that point than actual uh, aid. So in terms of performance, I don't think 
being in the super squad is any aiding just personally. Uh, some some shooters definitely would love to be in the super squad. Uh, I know I'm more of a meticulous person, so I would go to the match the day before and do a lot of homework. But there are times where some uh, some top shooters may have really crazy schedules, so they may not have had enough time to do walkthrough type of a thing. So in that kind of case, uh, I've had one only one time actually. I was really going back and forth and helping out. Hey, this is the good plan. This is the simplest plan, but this is what I think is the best plan type of thing. So in that kind of case, uh, you may get helped. But again, uh, we're sharing based on our own strengths. So mm -hmm. absolutely, if you look at the super squad, you can definitely tell, especially like carry optics too. You can tell the strength is so variety. So this shooter may be based on production, this shooter may be based on open. This shooter maybe was born carry optic shooter. So everybody has different strengths. So to be honest, I really think being in the super squad, uh, most cases would have been, uh, would not have helped you to get a better score. In fact, it, I think it may be quite opposite in most cases. You think the pressure might, with coming on, like the pressure might more since you're on that squad for some people is that what you're meaning by that Opposite? that's definitely one of them yes definitely one of them i think it depends how you're wired also so like exactly. not speaking to super squads but let's let's be straight like matt i i was chasing you in production for like 10 years right yeah and so like we're like whatever friends since we're like in b class or whatever mm -hmm. uh so like maybe it's not a super squad but if i'm going to a section match or an area match and i have the chance to shoot with matt Matt is the guy I wanted to beat for probably 10 years. If we have the option to shoot with Matt, I'm going to squad with Matt. Obviously, I like Matt. I mean, always have as a person, but like, I want to see what he's doing. What stage plans is he doing? What skills is he beating me on? I look at Matt like, holy crap. Like, look how he shoots the, like far targets or look how he always goes one for one on steel. I, I learned a lot just watching Matt or whatever heavy hitter I could squad with shoot. So, uh, you know, not necessarily a super squad, but if I'm going to a match, I definitely want to squad with the the people I'm competing against or the people I want to chase or beat. Just because I learned a lot, just paying attention, watching what people do, watching how they perform, um, seeing how they shoot stages, talking to them about stage plans when I can do that without being annoying. So anyway, I think it's a good opportunity. Like if I have the option to shoot with with the talent, I'm absolutely going to. But like Kim said, the next guy might get nervous and maybe he's better off. Just do your own thing and don't worry about anybody else. So, yes, there's a, the pressure increased due to the environmental factor, you know, right? Like people watching or video crew, things like that. But there's also another thing you want to consider. Uh, this is not something that I observed every single super squad. I only was in super squad in two divisions so far. But there were times definitely people were playing mind games for sure whether if it was on purpose or not on purpose. So there is something that you want to consider that because some shooters I know, uh, they would like to compare scores. They would like to talk about things and whether if it was on purpose for them to use that for psychological mm, mess up or, you know, mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't say attack, but mental game. Mm -hmm. uh, the other person may don't want to hear any of that or may may want to separate entirely because they don't want to know them. But there, of course, there's cases where people are, you know, 
telling, hey, this is the score or something like that is for sure is 100% happening. Uh, like I said, not every single time I was in Super Squad was like that, but there was definitely multiple times where I saw, hey, that guy, whether if it was on purpose or not, that's going to be playing mind game for that person. Yes. I think that ha- happens more subconsciously from people. I don't. It is possible. I, I, I guess I want to see the good in people and say like, oh, they're not going to say that, oh, they mm-hmm. ran that stage two seconds faster than they actually did or right. anything like that or whatever else they do. Or if they run the st- like in the walkthrough, they do the stage one way and then actually when they shoot it, they shoot it a different way. That's actually pretty hard to do. <laughs> Yeah, like walk through and be like, nope, this is not what I'm gonna actually do. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea. You're you're it, trying it too sound, hard. Yeah, to like, that sounds super hard. You're gonna try to mess with someone else at the performance. I think the biggest thing, the single biggest thing from my experience on the super squad is you're shooting and you're able to like know the target engagement order or the like the number of targets after activators and stuff like that and. The input coming from other shooters at the match to the super squad is more than any other squad at the match. So, like, if the timing is figured out on an activator sequence, it's more likely that people are going to go tell those people on that squad than any other squad. So you won't get maybe behind because you can't figure out out an activator sequence. Like, the people on that squad are going to get told, so, like, the whole squad is going to know. I think that's the single biggest advantage. And then with that, maybe if I'm in B class, I don't want to shoot the the activation order the super right. squad. Yeah, doing. exactly. Like, Man, are you doing what? Like yeah. three targets in between? Like that's crazy. I'm doing like one or maybe two. I'm not, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. So, nah, totally. Um, and then I guess the other part of his question, kind of to address, he was asking if like the having different weather or conditions, if I that plays into it. You get the same light factors like with the bays, if there's a sun over a berm or something, or if a a rain cloud comes through and it only hits the morning squads and not the afternoon squads at nationals or something like that. I think that is, it's semi-important. I guess it doesn't really, it shouldn't really matter, but like obviously that'll affect, like if some people are like having bags on targets or anything like that, that does affect people. It shouldn't, but it does. Cool. Uh, guys, I think this is a bang up podcast, as the saying goes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to take your silence for you guys agreeing with me. Yeah, it was great. Yes. Good job. Was well, bang oh, up. Well, I could have done it without you guys. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you have a question you want the answer to, go to my website. It's bensteger.com. Send me your question. I'd love to hear from you. Look at that. Got that down.